0: Bonjour. Hi, Canada. Greetings, everyone listening on Hugh Hewitt.com in the ReliefFactor.com studio. I've been gone for the last two days, but I am back for this hour because I did not want to miss the opportunity to talk with Dr. Larry Arn about something I think is actually extraordinary. I think it's a, an incredible moment in the West. I think it's the rebirth of Britain. And I am overstating this only a little bit uh, because I think what Boris Johnson did upon taking the keys to number 10 was amazing last week. And I wanted to talk to Dr. Larry Arne, president of Hillsdale College, about it this week. Not just because this is the Hillsdale Dialogue, which it is, the last radio hour of every week. Everything Hillsdale is available at Hillsdale.edu. All of our conversations dating back to 2013 are at Hugh for Hillsdale. I want to talk to Dr. Larry Arn because this is one of the things on which he knows something. I he knows how to actually pretend quite well on many things. But about the British parliamentary system, he knows a lot. And can we remind for the benefit of our new audience in Bloomington, Indiana, for example, Dr. Arn, how it is that you came to know so much about British politics?
1: Well, I went over there to get myself a girl and uh, (laughs) and found that I had a bit of spare time, so I boned up on it. Um, No, I I, uh, went to England to study in 1977, and I ended up working for Martin Gilbert, the Churchill biographer, where I met my wife. And I watched Margaret Thatcher come to power and prosecute her first year as prime minister, and that's the best political theory uh, theater that I've ever witnessed with my own eyes. And British politics are a drama, and especially in those days, gosh, they were good and so you're just watching the best show you ever saw, and you couldn't watch it back then, it wasn't on t v but uh it, you could hear it on the radio and read it in the papers, which was a great thing no so yeah you and you and then, if you study Winston Churchill, you know Winston Churchill, at the end of his life, turned down a dukedom because he wished to be remembered as a man of the House of Commons. What was so important about that? Well, Churchill explains that at great length.
0: I've got to ask you before we go further. It came to my attention this week at the Nixon Library that Frank Gannon had worked for Randolph Churchill for a while when he was getting his Ph.D. at Oxford and pursuing a degree in Great Britain. Have you crossed paths with Frank?
1: No, I've uh, we exchanged short notes years ago uh, and, uh, you know, he knew Martin Gilbert way back then and I. Knew of him from Martin Gilbert, but no, I don't know him. At some
0: point, we'll have to arrange for you to meet. But he and I yeah. talk British politics on this coast, and you and I talk it on the on the East Coast. And I think it's edifying for Americans to know about it because we are derived from this system, but our framers did not want this system. And in a nutshell, Larry, why did we not want a parliamentary democracy in America?
1: Uh, well, you, you, you uh, the the source of the parliamentary democracy in America is not like the source of government, uh, sorry, in Britain, is not like the source of government because parliamentary democracy developed out of monarchy, right? It took a long time. And, uh, you know, they had to cut the head off the king and depose another one. But um, um, the king had the authority and then the, you know, the first parliamentary gestures were the lords, the strong barons, who also controlled land, uh, having, you know, a body to get together and talk and advise the king. And then, you know, the society grew and they included the commons. Doggone it if so, people didn't want to be involved. <laughs> that's Well, they didn't, you know, you couldn't, you know, there was, I mean, look, first of all, in, in Britain, the first election in which everybody, every adult, voted in Britain was 1928.
0: That right? is pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah, and, and, and a, 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 as late as 1875, there were still narrow franchises and rotten boroughs, which means boroughs that nobody lives in, and so the lord who controls the borough gets to really appoint the member of parliament. So there was, you know, in other words, they came to all of this after we did and, and, and uh, you know, well after,
0: and and so they're developing along. It's called pathway evolution. They go in a different direction, but our framers do not want the executive mixed up with the legislative.
1: And and that in that they were right. And they, in my opinion, and they have the they have the of Winston Churchill, who always interpreted the British political system not as Walter Badgett interprets it. Uh, you know, he, cabinet government is his deal. And he's the dominating commentator on the British Constitution from, you know, the time he wrote in the late 19th century through, you know, 1950, as late as that. But Churchill never went along with that. What Churchill thought was we have a system of separation of powers. We in the House of Commons pick the executive and then we watch their every move like a hawk and we debate them every week. And, uh, and so everybody realizes because separation of powers is is born in the human nature itself according to james madison in what respect are we not are we all created equal you know not height not weight not smart not anything but we're all above the animals and below the angels yes and so we have to have laws and those who make the laws also have to be controlled. And the first device for doing that is representation. In other words, we have to elect them. And the second device is separation of powers. And so the founders had absorbed that from, you know, from great writing, you know, especially Montesquieu, who was an inspiration to them on this particular point and the, the most important author on this subject Uh, And so they wanted to divide the powers. Well, Churchill wanted to do that, too, and sort of had an interpretation of the British uh, Constitution to show that they were divided.
0: But when the power changes in Great Britain, it is not like the United States. It changes completely in the form of a person. Uh, When a prime minister falls and is replaced by a prime minister, that prime minister goes to the head of the table at number 10. And what powers do they have, Dr. Arndt?
1: Well, uh, that's cha- you know, we, we talked about debates the other day. Um, that, that has been changed by television, uh, because what, what the prime minister was was the first among equals, and that is to say, at the end of a, you know, you know first of all, the executive action is delegated to the, to the uh, cabinet, and the cabinet does control what's debated in the House of Commons, until the members get mad, yep, and the, and then they take it back from, him, and that happens commonly by the way, they're always worried what the what the members think. if you're Winston Churchill and Prime Minister, as he was twice, you've got a guy in the Parliament in his second premiership, it was George Harvey Watt, and if you're traveling around the world, say you know, fighting the war, he's writing you memos every day about what goes on in the House of Commons that day, so they are paying attention, they have to well it it but but so, what, boy, if, if this were 60 years ago, they would sit down and have a cabinet meeting, and he would, he would have to appoint his cabinet from people who commanded respect in the House of Commons, so that, uh, sorry, in his party in the House of Commons, so that he could be, win a vote of his party members in the House to be the leader of the party, which is what makes you prime
0: minister. Now, quick question: the the leader of the House of Commons is not the Prime Minister, but he's a member of the government. We have a new leader of the House of Commons in Jacob Rees-Mogg, which is, I think, a terrific uh, development. But did Churchill ever serve as the leader of the House? No. So it's the one job he did not have.
1: Well, it, it's it's uh, yeah, and that's a uh, uh, th- that that job. It, typically is joined with, some, well, back in Churchill's day at least, was joined with some other job. You know, Anthony Eden was foreign minister and leader of the House of Commons for a time under Churchill. So you, you back at least back in those days, you got two jobs. Uh, and I don't know if that Jacob Rees-Mogg's only job, it is. but I agree with you that that is an inspired choice, and on Brexit, Boris has been very hardline in his first few days.
0: When we come back from break, we're going to talk about what happens when there is a, uh, they call it a shuffle. This one was called a decapitation. Uh, and uh, a, a bigger change in one day than any intra party swap at number 10 has ever seen. That's kind of remarkable, isn't it, Larry? fired them all. He fired them all.
1: <laughs> he fired them. Every, you know, and uh, he's no respecter of
0: persons. Just, if you were for remain, you're not in the cabinet. You know, it sent a shudder through every academic institution in America. You know, what if someone had that authority? What if the president could come in and fire everyone in Congress or the president of a college could come in and fire everyone? And I know of one person who did it, Dr. Albert Moeller at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary of Louisville. I believe he did it. Once and I have never heard of it except Boris Johnson last week. We come back from break. We'll talk about what he did, why he did it, and what it means for Europe. I think it's the greatest thing that has happened to Great Britain since uh, Margaret Thatcher's election. Not the election of David Cameron, not the election of, of Theresa May, but the entrance of Boris Johnson into power with his agenda. I think it's the greatest thing to the U.K., and thus for us, in a long time. We'll talk about why when we come back to the Hilldale Dialogue with Dr. Larry on president of Hillsdale College, on The Hugh Hewitt Show. Portions of The Hugh Hewitt Show are brought to you in part by Patriot Mobile. Welcome back, America. Hugh Hewitt. Last Radio Hour of the Week is the Hillsdale Dialogue. If you have not signed up for Imprimus, go do it today. I mean, you will be so happy every month when Imprimus arrives in your mailbox. It's old-fashioned. It's snail mail. And you can read it and mark it up and save them, and millions of Americans do, and it's absolutely free. You just have to sign up at hillsdale.edu for the news letter. I call it the speech digest, actually. of Very smart people saying very smart things. Dr. Arm. Is the president of my uh, of Hillsdale College? All things Hillsdale at hillsdale. edu, and he is my guest, Dr. Arne Boris Johnson. Your thoughts on who he is before we get to what he did?
1: Well, he, he's a, a strange and brilliant man. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> well, uh, well said. He's uh, he's got weird hair, which seems to be the executive fashion these days.
0: Yes. Um, (laughs) Executive (laughs) fashion. (laughs) I hope you adopt that at Hillsdale.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, There we go. He's uh, he's uh, he's what they would have called in earlier times a polymath. That is to say, he writes fluently and at length about lots of things. He wrote a biography of Winston Churchill. It's pretty good. Um, He's uh, you know he's a little bit like a pixie. The way he moves around and jumps and
0: jumps from thing to thing, and he's an old boy, right? He's Eaton and Oxford. Oh yeah. Now, tell and people what that means. Again, we're we're talking to people from Indiana, so we're going to slow down today. Sorry, Bloomington. Uh, tell people what that means.
1: <laughs> well, uh, Eaton, You know, so there are these things for
0: you know for for
1: before college, there are these public schools. They're called. And in Britain, public means private. In this one context, only this one context, (laughs) there are these famous public schools. Uh, My wife went to the most famous of the girls' schools, Rodine. But the most famous of the boys' schools are especially Eton and close to it, Harrow, where Winston Churchill went. And so to go to Eton is, you know, to be on your way.
0: And to be in the view of Windsor Castle.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it's, you know, it's a little pricey. And they give lots of scholarships, too. And so you can get there because you're richer and, and well-placed. Or s- and somebody said resilient. at some
0: point that the World Wars were won on the playing fields of Eton.
1: That was Wellington who said that. What's it? He said, that, he said the Battle of Waterloo was won on the playing fields of Eton. By which and, he meant what? Uh, what?
0: What did he mean by that?
1: Well... He meant that Napoleon did this incredibly foolish thing and actually took his army to Eton, where he <laughs> lost to the <laughs>
0: You know what? The sad part is the Steelers fans are writing that down. <laughs> Public schools are rough.
1: In yes. Eden, and Eton was rough and uh, is. Well, I don't know. It's probably not as bad anymore. But, I mean, like, if you want to know how it can be when it can be bad, and it can be very bad, read Surprise by Joy by C.S. Lewis. And, you know, you're hazed and beaten, right? And uh, Wellington, you know, the Iron Duke, he looked at all that and thought, hey, that's the way. Let's do that, you know. So, yeah, in other words, it toughened you up to go to Eton in those
0: days. And, and in uh, a way that you could endure incredible hardship Mm -hmm. that was the point you could endure incredible hardship because you had put up with so much abuse now that underestimates the uh the contribution in both wars of the men uh, who were in the rank and file and had never gotten close to Eden. but the officer corps would lead from the front and they suffered grievously as they did
1: that's right well you know if you go in the oxford colleges and and uh and in Eden and Harrow and those places, you'll just see that the rolls of the dead are very long, and uh, and that you know because everybody answered the call, right? In in, in World War in, in both World Wars, but in World War One, Britain went with an all volunteer army for a year and a half, and uh, everybody joined up, and then you know, and and among the ones who joined up first were the best placed and so,
0: so that's boris johnson he is coming out of a storied place with a storied history and with an expectation that is what larry arn for an Eton oxford man what's the expectation
1: well they expect you to be like david cameron right uh smooth artful a little bit bill clinton tony blairish right that's what they're like these days Boris Johnson's
0: just not like that. He's not, and boy, was the first week evidence of that. When we come back, Dr. Larry and, and I look back at Boris Johnson, what it means for Brexit, when we return to the Hilltale Dialogue on The Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. Two Hewitt. Dr. Larry Arnn is my guest on this, the last radio half hour of the week now. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue, which we do almost every Friday with either Dr. Larry Arnn, president of Hillsdale College, or one of his colleagues from that lantern of sweet reason up north, or the Kirby Center, the lantern of sweet reason in the shadow of the Capitol, where they're always pumping out what you need to have, which is an understanding of the founding of the country and the documents and the ideas on which it was based, Great Britain is not the United States, but it matters a lot to us how it goes. What it's been trying to do is disentangle itself from Europe. After a merger, a bad merger of 40 years, they're trying to get away and the European Union does not want them to leave. So they had a referendum and Boris Johnson, Michael Gove led the leave forces and they won, which promptly led to Theresa May, who was a Remainer being named prime minister. And that worked out into the worst deal. In fact, it's such a bad deal. Dr. Aron sent me to prepare for this a column it told me something I did not know because I've been focused on the backstop, that the Theresa May deal left Great Britain under the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. It's unbelievable to me.
1: Yeah, uh, That's right. Binding arbitration.
0: See, Britain,
1: Britain is in an argument with an oligarchy. Yes. Those, pe- those people in Brussels are effectively tenured and can't be recalled. And so they have this interest, right? They command this great thing. Uh, somebody told me the other day, and don't quote me on this. Look it up before you use it yourself, oh listeners, that Britain is, is owing 460 million pounds to help build the new European government structure. Yeah, both, that is true.
0: That's, and what, that's, just, that's in the agreement. do insane, right?
1: What yeah. do they get? You know, there's many countries, right? How much is that thing going to cost? I mean, the the McNamara Terminal, which is really great at Detroit Airport, is $1.5 billion, right? And that's a great way to waste government money. You know, if it had been built privately, it would have been cheaper. But it's really cool, right? And it's huge. It's a mile long, right? How big is this government going to be?
0: It's enormous, gigantic. They, they're going to build buildings and employ people forever because that it creates um, uh, the renters. Uh, they, they are rent-seeking people that go to work for the EU, and they will continue to seek rents. But it's a bad, bad deal, and it did not get through the British Parliament, thank God, three times. And so Theresa May had to leave. And they elected Boris Johnson. Now, explain the British cabinet and how big it is, Dr. Arndt, and what Boris Johnson did. We re- we alluded to it at the beginning, but let's go through it in detail.
1: Um, so, uh, the people elect a parliament. Uh, one of the parties will have a majority. That majority uh, nominates somebody to go to the king to, and kiss hands. It's called. The king actually formally picks the prime minister, and in. In narrow cases, may have some discretion about whom he calls, but they uh, pick somebody. And Boris won a constituency election. That's an innovation. They never did this before. Uh, and you know, local conservative party affiliates and council members and stuff. They voted, and he got more than two two times as many votes as Jeremy Hunt. And and so now he's he's the guy, and he goes to the Buckingham Palace and he kisses hands, and he comes back. And he invites a bunch of people to join his government, except first he disinvited a large number of people to join his government. And, and the, uh, uh, people should understand, this is breathtaking, because the way you pick a government is to shore up your position as the party leader. And so you always pick a a large number of them from people who are enemies of yours and want your job, because in exchange for you making them foreign minister or chancellor of the Exchequer, they will... And they will encourage all their friends to vote for you.
0: And these jobs come with enormous status, prestige and agencies at your disposal and the opportunity to rise even further on what Israeli called the greasy pole, which is to end up as the prime minister. If you're not in the cabinet, it's really hard to become the Prime Minister in three, five, seven, ten years. You've got to be in the Cabinet. You've got to have authority. So when Theresa May left and Boris Johnson came in, he had a Cabinet in place. She had a Cabinet waiting there. And they all really wanted to keep their jobs. That's right, because another thing is to be a Foreign Minister
1: in Britain is stronger thing to be than to be Secretary of State in the United States because the Prime Minister, if he fires you, out of hand he could lose his majority and you have an independent political base of the president you're an elected official too so they love those jobs right and what he did was just cashiered everyone who had advocated remain in the referendum
0: he also cashiered people like dr liam fox a friend of this show who had been the minister of trade who had long favored leave but also had favored jeremy hunt who was boris's opponent
1: yeah, and that's just so. The point is, here's what's great about this. I mean, I think I think it's good what he's doing, and why, because it is unprecedented. Nearly, it's it's maybe unprecedented. It's certainly extremely unusual. And why? Because they've roped themselves into a god awful mess. Yes. Right. And because the decisions that have been made here since the referendum are simply disastrous. And here's why. First of all, now you're going to leave and you're going to go over there to Brussels and you're going to negotiate with them. Well, the first thing you say is the Bank of England publishes a paper and says that the British economy will be crushed if we leave without a deal. And then Theresa May gives a bunch of speeches and says we have to have a deal. We're not going to subject this country to the pain and misery of a no-deal Brexit. That establishes her negotiation position when she goes over to talk to what I think are a bunch of oligarchs, right? And so they read the papers, right? And they think to themselves, "We got this woman."
0: Ah, right? Yes, they did.
1: And and so they they put two things in it. Now we now know because of Rupert Darwall, D A R W A L L, which people should read if they can. just Google him, you'll find his stuff. And thank God he's got an unusual name, Rupert um, Darwell. Darwall wall wall okay yeah. and and uh i know him he's a delightful man um and he sends me his stuff which helps to keep me better informed than if he didn't and i send it to you and lord knows you can use that help
0: so, i do uh, and i read it and i learned that the european court of justice gets arbitrary i just couldn't believe it actually yeah so the two things in it one is it's called
1: the backstop and what that means is there has to be so Britain has an uh, an old history in Ireland, and you know some of it is not credible to Britain, but its history in Northern Ireland very much it is, because the people of Northern Ireland want to remain united with Britain, but they don't want. They're Irish, right? And Belfast, you know, I was just there, right? People wh- and people have been killed in Belfast in very large numbers. That's in Northern Ireland, but. And, you know, there used to be walls and checkpoints everywhere in the city for years and years and years. Now, all that's gone, and now you can move freely between Northern and Southern Ireland. And this and that's is to what the credit of. They got relations over there.
0: Yeah, this is to the credit of uh, Bill Clinton and Tony Blair, who negotiated the Good Friday Agreement whereby the Protestants and the Catholics in Northern Ireland laid down their arms after 200 years of shooting each other.
1: And bless them for that, yes. by the way. A, a chance to say something great about Bill Clinton. Yeah. Um. I'll add another thing. Preferable to Obama. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, he was. Yes, he was. It's, it's well or for said. For that matter,
1: to yeah. his wife. Yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't want to weaken there. But, um, um, yeah, he did. Bill Clinton was, you know, he had some virtues. That's just a fact. And uh, But so now the Irish are saying that, I mean, the European Union is saying there has to be a hard border between the two. And and the British are thinking of ways where it can be a soft border, where you can go pretty much freely, but there's some little check.
0: And, and you know, that is the Canadian-U.S. border, is it yeah. not? That is what we have. There's a little guard gate, and you go through it, and they make sure you're not bringing in bales of heroin or something. Uh, that, but they have ways around this because the border cannot be the Irish Sea because that effectively cuts the U.K. in in a quarter of it is lost. The uh, The United Kingdom would includes Ulster, and they're afraid, and Britain is afraid of having their sovereignty over the Northern Ireland severed.
1: That's right. And uh, recall to people, you used to not need a passport. I mean, until, you know, 15 years ago or something the terrorist attacks used to not need a passport to go to Canada or they to come here. And that was better. Now, maybe this, the, the, the limited checks we have today are necessary, but that's different than saying that they're good because you want, you know, flow, right? And, uh, um, when it's not a problem, right? And, uh, so, um, um, so anyway, that's, that's the first thing. But now the second thing emerges and that is, they've signed a binding arbitration agreement that the, that any dispute will be mediated by the European Court of Justice, that is to say, fellow oligarchs, to the people with whom they are negotiating. Yep. And so that's just crazy, right? Yep. And, 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 and so Boris is manifesting, he says, but also he manifests in every action, we've got to just go at this thing now. We're the ones who called this referendum. We're the ones who were losing votes to the United Kingdom Independence Party and now to the Brexit Party. And we promised to do this thing. We promised that if it passed, we would do it. And that's why David Cameron resigned honorably. And that's what Theresa May came, came in promising to do. It's time to do it. And so he's vastly improved his negotiating position by the simple and emphatic and often repeated statement that on October 31 of 2019 we are leaving the European Union and, no matter what.
0: No ands, ifs, or buts. That's right. Now, and, to that end, he also brought in Sajid Javi as the Chancellor of the Exchequer and Dominic Raab as his Foreign Secretary, and they are hard-nosed about leaving as well. That's right.
1: and And... And see, they've been, you know, Donald Trump has talked to him and friends of yours and mine in the United States Senate, including Tom Cotton. And Well, I don't know if I can do it. Well, let me be indiscreet. I think there's a letter going around that they may send oh. that will, that will uh, offer the help of the Senate of the United States.
0: You know, to we, expedite we, a U.S. trade agreement? A treaty about the U.S. uh, and and Great Britain, because we will—they need a free trade agreement. They absolutely must have a free trade agreement with us, negotiated quickly, uh, uh, 30 seconds of the break. I think they'll get it, don't you?
1: Yeah, and, you know, we need to—you know, what if there's a run on the Bank of England or something? Then we should help them. And, uh, um, you know, because they— they need to, th- this needs to be done. And I think that the European Union will, for a time, do everything in their power to punish them. And, and that's, you know, a warning to the others. And that's uh, I all- think
0: they were thinking about, when we come back from break, we'll talk about that. I think that Boris's new attitude may, in fact, oblige them to blink. We'll talk about that after the break. Don't go anywhere, America. Larry Arn will be right back with the Hillsdale Dialogue. <laughs> Welcome back, America. It's Hugh here with Dr. Larry Arn, talking about Boris Johnson taking over at number 10 two weeks ago. It's the first chance we've had to discuss this. He cleaned house, he had a massacre. It was all the rage for the tabloids in Great Britain that, that Boris killed everyone off and brought in a whole new team, and they're getting settled in. But Michael Gove is put in charge of hard Brexit preparation. So he took someone who's a alleged to be the smartest guy and with whom he had some trouble in the past and some alliances in the past and said you prepare the country for a hard brexit sending i think a signal that he really is preparing for a hard brexit larry arn and if you're going to negotiate that's what you want the other side to believe
1: yeah and 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 you know you have to be prepared to do it right because the time is going to go right it's what is that that's August, September, October—it's three months from now. It's, it's
0: ninety-seven days, I believe. Now,
1: yeah, and that's uh, and so you know he they they need to make emergency preparations for this change, and uh, and they they should have been doing that from the day after, right? Uh, the, the day after the referendum passed, and you know Boris is making another argument, and it's bound to be powerful. He says. We are the home of democracy. That's not quite true, but it's tolerable true. And certainly they have a long and honorable record of that. And so if we cannot follow a Democratic vote that we have called, then there's nothing left for us. So he's drawn a line now, and he had to. And all credit to him for being the one who understands that he had to.
0: Yeah, and and by doing so, by moving out there and saying we're going to get this done, I think what he says to the European Union is, if you punish us, we will not be friends. We will do NATO, but we will not be friends. And he is really obliging Chancellor Merkel and President Macron of France to consider they had an easy walk. The last three years now they're confronted with a choice. do we want an ally or do we want someone with whom we are fighting across the channel? I think they're going to take that seriously. What do you think I think
1: they well, I think that i I would guess i don't know, but I think that there may be a bad patch. I think they may do some vindictive things. I think they will
0: surely do them between now and october thirty one right up to the right up into the end I think and,
1: and I think there might be some things after too but but in the fullness of time it's a very important fact that will that will help to produce political pressures that britain has a significant trade deficit with the european union and that means the the countries of the european union send more stuff to britain than britain sends back now if that stops and this is why the the bank of england is a sensitive thing then uh you can, you know, Brit- Britain, British people have pounds. And so if they buy a BMW, they've got to pay for it with pounds. And, and you know, the car comes over to Britain and the pounds go over. And, and that, that is what, one of the things that helps to make London a major financial center, which, by the way, it's been forever, a long time before the uh, before European Union. And so that could lead to some rockiness there. And uh, you know, I think we should monitor that ourselves and be prepared to be of help to them
0: well that that is that is to to go to the defense of an ally is being punished. I am more optimistic that they simply had a mark in Theresa May. And, I, and I, I know she was she served steadily and people like her, but she was a mark. She negotiated exactly the wrong way from every negotiation I've ever been in, which is to give everyone everything away at the beginning and reserve nothing for the end game and, and ended up getting stuck with this deal that she tried to repackage six ways to Sunday. And Johnson's taken that all off the table, and he's torn up the agreement, and they're starting over, or they're just going to leave, and then they can come back and deal with them. But I... I do think that if you're confronted with that, Europe has a lot more to lose than Great Britain. I think so. And, you know, eventually,
1: right, and it'll take some time. And this is all very dicey because the majority is, you know, I think the, the, the conservatives have a majority of negative nine. And that means they need nine votes from some other parties to stay in power. And, you know, there's lots of remainers in the parliament and the Tory party. And so... Can he hold his majority if there's hard times after this? Who knows? But he he has, and, you know, credit to him. He also, has, by the way, has a very bold and comprehensive platform of stuff he's going to do. And, uh, you know, take care of the farmers because, you know, Britain sell stuff abroad to Europe, it, it does have a, a positive trade balance. I, I have that.
0: one minute left. I have to ask you one question. Do you think he can prorogue Parliament in order to, to make sure that they do not block no deal?
1: Well, he said he, he said there will be no election. And I don't think he'll prorogue Parliament. Pro-rogue parliament. Uh, but uh, that would be a bold thing. And if he looks like he's going to lose his, his uh, majority... majority And that'll be, because, you know, things are going to happen here in the next few months that are going to affect things for a long time in Britain, and therefore in the world. And, you know, it's not off it's not beyond the pale of reason that the the Tory party could
0: be destroyed over this a no. new party's created it, that has happened before in Great Britain it can happen again and we shall see Dr. Larry Arnold of Hillsdale College always the expert to go to on UK politics and Winston Churchill and now Boris Johnson thank you my friend thank you Adam thank you Ben thank you General I'll see you on Monday on the next Hugh Hewitt Show America